From the Cairo Radio Newsroom in Seattle, I'm Dave Ross, and these are the Ross Files. You may have seen a viral post posted by Aaron Bromage, who teaches at the University of Massachusetts at Dartmouth, called The Risks, Know Them, Avoid Them, about exactly how the coronavirus is transmitted. And it went viral, and I can see why, Aaron, because it was the single most informative thing that uh, I've read, including the stuff from the, the CDC. And one of the things I learned from it is that we, we seem to have assigned superpowers to this virus that it does not have, that the the main problem is when people uh, allow it to spread by confining themselves inside and in large groups. So first of all, tell me why you decided to put this together. I have been teaching an undergraduate class this past semester on ecology of infectious diseases, and I picked a a new emerging uh, threat that was coming out of China when I put the syllabus together in January. And so since January, my students and I had been you know, tracking the emerging science coming out of all these amazing labs around the world and just co- you know, collating it together. But then as I was seeing it starting to emerge as more of a global threat, I started putting that information together just in a simple Facebook post that I was sending to you know, my 300 friends. From there, I had a few people ask, could it be accessible off Facebook? And so over the period of about 12 weeks, I've written about 40 posts, you know, some on just updates of where we are now, others on shopping plans, um, where we should wear the masks, about the role of animals, just sort of relevant things that I was trying to work out and, you know, understand the problem myself. And then most recently, the post that I put together Um, You know, my home country, Australia, is about to reopen. The U.S. is looking about reopening. And nobody really had the guidelines that we needed to have to protect yourself when you're out in the community. So I was just trying to teach my friends, um, you know, those closest around me, where the dangers were so they could navigate this new normal a little bit differently. I was not expecting... 14 million eyes to lay on the post. It's normally about 500 people reading it, but that's where it ended up. It sort of seemed to have resonated with a lot of people and they've enjoyed it. Well, the message was was reassuring for people because it told them that it's pretty safe to go outside, basically. Right. There still are risks outside, but, you know, I look at people being worried about everything. And the way I have approached this problem in regards to the pandemic is the more that you know about it, uh, the better armed you can be and the better decisions that you can make. And so, you know, when you're spending energy, like really worrying about things, there are things you should worry about. And then there's things that are risky, but let's not go overboard with how crazy you should be about them. And being outside is one of those things. Maintain social distance and be mindful of your environment. And outdoors is a great place to be. Yeah. And that's because you, you have a lot of air circulation. It's very difficult for the virus to concentrate when the, the wind is blowing. So, so for example, in our neighborhood, there is an, a sort of a, a, a evening cocktail party in this one driveway where people sit in a circle separated by, you know, six to ten feet, and, and they drink. Do you need to wear masks in a, in a situation like that or not? You know, if you've got 
I use, we do something similar here, not with as many people, but, you know, we get a little further apart. We usually throw a fireplace in between us um, just to add a little bit more of, you know, heat to sterilize the air. Um, but you don't need to have a mask when you've got plenty of physical distance. Um, you know, I'd be mindful if you had it set up and some light breeze was blowing straight down on top of someone, you know, downwind from you. But reality, you know, with the outdoor expanse and the dilution of air, um, it's not just a single viral particle that infects you. You have to build up to an infectious dose. And that can take time with just breathing. Now, you went through some of the, the examples that have become familiar, the uh, restaurant where uh, the diners were infected, the choir practice, the, uh, the call center. In each of these cases, it was prolonged exposure in a confined area, right? Right. And then there's even better data that some you know, incredible scientists have put out in the last couple of days where uh, showing a, a bus that had, I think, 67 people on it, um, over 20 of them got infected when they were on a, a bus trip for a, a, you know, an outing with their group. We're looking at South Korea where just one person going out, well, this person went out to a nightclub and now they're looking at at least 80 infections from that one outing of one infected person. So the evidence is just building that enclosed spaces with lots of people and poor filtration lead to everything that you need for a, a cluster, you know, an outbreak to occur in that, that environment. Right. So if the safety of the outdoors is the good news, the danger of the indoors is the bad news. And so th this is the big question. Do you think, absent a vaccine, there is any safe way to ride a bus or to ride a train or to reopen a crowded restaurant or nightclub? Right. I, I'm almost certain that we can engineer our way out of this problem. You know, there's the biology we need to solve, and then we need to bring that together with, you know, these building engineers that understand filtration systems and filter systems. And, you know, things can be put in place to make indoor environments safer. And I think that until a vaccine comes, it's going to be, you know, lots of little things that we do, like making sure that there's physical space between people, making sure that there's adequate filtration, quality filtration of the air, not recycled, but actually replaced air, um, you know, from the outside. Mask wearing drops down that, you know, risk when you're indoors. So there's a lot of little things that we can do that will allow us to be inside in enclosed spaces and lower our overall risk. So I'm pretty confident that we'll get there. It's just going to take some great science, some great engineering, and people just relearning the way in which we operate. What about schools? Yeah, schools, you know, everyone wants that question, and me included. That's the data that we, we need data on kids to make informed decisions. And I understand why we don't have it, because nobody wants to experiment on Children, you know, you put them in the situation, what if it goes wrong? So we don't know with kids. We know that they can be infected. We know that they get a high level of, you know, virus inside their respiratory tracts. We haven't seen a lot of evidence that they can transmit, but the fact that we haven't seen it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. 
So one of the fortunate things with us being in the United States is we have some time to make good decisions based on data. There are other countries around the world where school children are going back to school right now and they've got really good public health tracing programs going on and they're going to be watching this like a hawk. And so we will get an idea of what happens in school environments from these other countries that are now sort of testing this theory out of children being less susceptible. So again, I know it's really hard for parents and everybody trying to work out what to do, but we're waiting for the data to come to be able to make informed decisions. But we do have time because we're waiting until September. When it comes to reopening schools, it seems to me that the the rules uh, that the virus follows when it comes to surfaces would be important because you could change the air filtration, but of course, kids like to touch things and uh, play with stuff. So what is the best knowledge now on um, picking up a virus by touching something? Yeah, so we know fomite transfer. So that's when you cough on your hand, um, then you touch a railing, you disappear. Somebody else comes along and touches the railing and rubs their eyes can lead to infection. The problem with that, we don't have a lot of data on it because it's almost impossible to track. You know, in a nightclub, you don't know if it was a you know, transfer off a surface or a transfer off a touch, as in cough on your hand, shake somebody's hand, they rub their eye, um, or whether it was respiratory. So it's really hard to work out the role of uh, fomite transfer versus the transfer that happens through respiratory emissions. Um, but they are equally important. You know, we really need to still be vigilant with our hand hygiene and not touching our face. Um, but the respiratory one seems to be responsible for these large clusters where you get 20, 30, 80 people all infected from the one event. Right. Now, you are an expert in, in scientific communications, right? I mean, you, you look at ways that you can communicate the science to people in a way that they can act on and comprehend. Yeah. So one of um, you know, my research interest is actually in, in immunology. I look at how the immune system evolved in many different species of animals and how they defend themselves from infectious disease. But going through that research or threaded through that research and teaching program was science communication. For the last eight years or so, it's been an integral, integral part of my teaching and research program. I get my undergraduate students to go into a, a fourth grade classroom and give a talk on a science, scientific topic. If they can't explain it to those kids, they can't explain it to me. Mm -hmm. So I put them in all different situations so that science becomes accessible for everybody. So then... Would you evaluate some of the briefings we've gotten from our politicians, both state and national? Would I evaluate or do I evaluate? I, well, I'm, I'm just curious to know, based on what you've seen, uh, how effective have the official communications from politicians been over the past few weeks? So one of my concerns with this, and you might notice from my voice, I'm not an American. Um, I'm from Australia. And so I, I can't comment on, I don't want to comment on politics in the US. But one of the things that I have found really uh, amazing about my home country, Australia, is that everybody, state and federal, got on board with the same message. 
and made it as clear as possible for the population of what was needed and what the outcome would be from doing this. When we look in the US, I don't think that message has been as clear and as constant. We certainly have have uh, have had conflicting messages based on the fact that we have pretty independent states that don't always want to follow what the federal government does. But in terms of the, well, for example, the latest controversy is over the guidelines that were released by the CDC for reopening things like restaurants and transit. There was the original 63-page version. Uh, I got through about the first 20 pages before my eyes began to glaze over. But then in the the one-page summaries, that was all obvious stuff I already knew. So I'm just wondering if you think that any we've gotten adequate guidance on how to successfully put in place some of the measures that you've just said we need to put in place. Yeah, so I was a little disappointed with the communication that came from the CDC there. It, it wasn't really... Um, targeted to, hey, I own a restaurant, what can I do? Or I own a gym, what can I do? And that was disappointing. Um, In Massachusetts, the governor just came out with a a great visual plan with phases that we're going to go through. And then very clearly down the bottom, it says in the coming days or weeks, we will give you a plan. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Uh, one of the things that, again, I'll go back to Australia because I love the response that they had there, is they have a website set up called Safe Workplaces. And you can go on there and say, I am an owner, I own a hairdresser, and you click on this and it gives you the best practices that we know of right now in order to get your store, your business back open. And it gives you know specific things that you should be looking for. Now, That's different to what it will be in the U.S., but at least it's giving um, those businesses a guide. The other thing I loved about it was when you're looking at that guide, it says if you do this, you can have a patronage of 50%. But if you are able to adjust a few other factors, maybe filtration or better cleaning um, or wearing masks, you can now increase your capacity to 75%. And so they incentivized um, businesses to take on added safety precautions to protect both their employees um, and the customers. And I thought that that was an amazing approach. Well, as far as I know, the rules of biology are the same in Australia as they are here. Why don't we all just use the Australia website? That is a really good question. (laughs) All right. I mean, we're free to do it. So, uh... right. And I honestly, I've been directing people to it because, you know, from this, you know, science communication post, um, one of the things that I have seen is just there are businesses all over the place that are just dying for information. And I'm just directing them there. I'm saying plug in your business here and you will at least get some guidance. It may not be what we're going to be using in the United States, but at least it gives you a start to be able to visualize what will make your workplace safe for everybody. I think that would solve a lot of problems. Aaron Bromage, who teaches at the University of Massachusetts. Aaron, thank you very much. Congratulations on uh, having 14 million fans now. Thank you very much. Um, It's a little humbling and it's uh, quite a wild ride. But thank you for having me on the show. Remember that when there's a longer version of the interviews on Seattle's Morning News, you can usually find it right here in the original form unconstrained by the limitations of a live broadcast. And 
you can subscribe so that when someone says, did you hear what was on Seattle's morning news, you can say, not only that, I heard the part that wasn't on Seattle's morning news. So my advice is to subscribe. And then when we talk to an author, a politician, an entrepreneur, an artist, a scientist, a teacher, a journalist, a celebrity, you'll hear every word. I'm Dave Ross. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.